Well, what's up, Mission? How we doing? Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike Hickerson. I'm honored to be the lead pastor of Mission Church. Man, if you're hanging out online or on the patio or in the lobby or in the room, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, and if you're watching this later, you're not going to know what this means, but apparently our student ministry resident, Corey Cruz, doesn't know what a towel is, um, which may explain some things about where our students know what showers are. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we know what Axe Body Spray is. This counts, right? That counts. Too soon, too soon. No, 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 honored to be the lead pastor of Mission Church. We exist as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we go after together. It's the privilege of my life to be part of this community. I love what God is doing in me and through our community and like how he's transformed me by being a part of this, but also how he's transforming so many, so many lives. And I'm really honored to celebrate baptism today. It's going to be so much fun uh, to watch that lived out. And we believe around here that like, like no one is perfect. And so if you've got the perfection thing nailed, then you're going to be really disappointed um, in our church. But we also believe that change is possible that we don't have to stay stuck in the same hurts or habits or hangups that have got us where we are, that, that actually God has given us everything that we need to live the life that he's called us to. Like he sent Jesus into the mess for the imperfection in the room and the imperfection in us. Like a perfect God sent his perfect son to pay the price for our rebellion so that we could be restored as much loved sons and daughters. And God has given us everything we need that we don't have to stay stuck. And that means that anyone is welcome and has an opportunity to engage in that kind of life with God. And there is hope for every single one of us. Like that tangible hope, that idea, that, that confident expectation that God is both willing and able to do everything that he promised to do. Not the wishful thinking hope, like you're like, well, I don't know. Hopefully I'm like, you know, 50-50 here on if God's going to rescue me or not. And I'm just betting on that he grades on a curve, you know, like not that kind of hope. But that hope that is like tangible, that he sent Jesus into the mess so that we could have this confident expectation that he is willing and able to do everything that he promised to do. And that hope is for every single one of us. And I've loved this series where we've talked about, man, there's someone like you, um, and it's everything I can do to not sing Kings of Leon, because that's one of my favorite bands of all time. But in my mind, never mind, you don't Google it, you'll figure it out later. But we've been, what, what, like, Jesus had these interactions that were like, these aren't just like characters in a fictional book somewhere, these are historical interactions. And when you kind of walk, what, watch what they're walking through or navigating, you start going like, that, that's, I relate to that. There's, there's someone like you in that. We walked through Mary Magdalene. We walk through Nicodemus, and today we're going to walk through the woman at the well, and next week we'll walk through Matthew, and along the way we've kind of looked at some of the chosen clips that we, we've been able to do, the chosen series, which I'm normally like, you know, no, uh, no offense to Christians that do media, it's just usually cheesy, and I love you, and I, I love Jesus, but the chosen has been like, it's stepped up the game, and I've loved being able to engage with the chosen, and I've loved watching the chosen clips, in fact, on the app, uh, through this series, we've been able to access and be able to have uh, like a link to the Chosen series. It's, if you're going to binge something over Thanksgiving, Christmas, try that. It'll be great. Uh, but the interaction that we're going to walk through today um, is like one of the most famous interactions in the Bible. It's Jesus and this woman at the well in Samaria. And I, I'm so excited for it. I think there's so much in here for us to learn, for us to be challenged by, for us to be encouraged by, for us to also go like, man, I've felt like that. Or I've been treated like that. Or I wonder how God would, if he had skin on and was Jesus and like was walking in my town, I wonder how he would interact with me. 
We're going to watch this interaction take place. She, this lady is thirsty and alone, and there's this God that has to go and meet her. It starts in John 4. If you have, the, have a Bible, open it up. We're going to walk through all of John 4. If you have the Bible app or you have the mission app, you can go to the button there. There's message notes you can follow along, but also be on the screen. Uh, so that we can just go that. Let's jump in. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I didn't grow up in church, so, but what I know now about my Bible history and geography is like, no, he didn't. Like, it's totally out of the way. Like, when I know what's going on in John and what they're trying to get done, it is, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. No Jewish person would be going through Samaria. Like, you would, you would weigh it, and you'd go like, no, alternate route. I know it's faster to do that, but I'm just, I'm, you got to figure another way, like the non-toll road way. It's a dangerous trek, but it's also a people that, like, Jewish people do not want to be around. He did not have to go through Samaria. But God was skin on. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because there's some walls to break down. There's some people that need hope, and there's some lessons that need to be learned. For all of us involved that are watching this go down, like, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob uh, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I love that Jesus can get tired and needs to be at a well at noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, and let me just stop there, no Jewish person would want to speak to a Samaritan, and no Jewish man, this is going to be offensive, ladies, would want to speak to a woman, especially if they were the religious kind, because men have changed so much, just kidding especially if they were the religious kind that were a rabbi, considered a teacher, they would not be speaking to some kind of group of people that they would consider unclean and for sure would not be speaking to a woman of that day that would be part of that unclean tribe. You with me? So when Jesus has to go through Samaria and when he's sitting at a well and he says to her, this is a big deal. Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And I like to think he sent them off because they wouldn't be able to handle this interaction until later. They would get in the way. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I mean, the racial tension, I'm just going to be just historical context here. I'm not making it up. The racial tension between Jews and Samaritans was very real and hostile. And the Jewish people considered them as way less than human because of their ethnicity and because they were a people that were, in their minds, half-breeds. So they were just so less than they were. Jewish children were taught that if they passed by a Samaritan on a dusty road, they were immediately to go, if they just walked by one, they were immediately supposed to go to the temple and be made clean again because they would be unclean by God until the priest made them clean again. That's how Jewish people and kids were taught. Jewish law allowed anyone to testify in a court of law except Samaritans because one of the stipulations for testifying, and I quote, was you have to be human. There's some stuff going on here. Can you imagine a society that judged people by their ethnicity, by their heritage, or the color of their skin? 
That's what was going on in the first century, and we've come so far. Too soon? But Jesus crosses all those lines. Because he was never looking at the outside of anyone's life or heritage or ethnicity or skin color. Always as a soul that God sent him for to rescue and save. So he had to go through Samaria. And he had to be at this well. And had to talk to this woman. Because he had an offer for her. I love this. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I mean, I love Jesus so much because he's a little bit snarky the way I didn't grow up in church. So I'm allowed to think that Jesus is a little bit snarky. It was like, you he's like, girl, you don't even know. Like you should be asking me for water and I'm not even trying to power up on you like that. Right? 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. And she's giving it right back to him. So I love this woman too. And the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater, greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Also, as did his sons and also his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, well, that sounds great. Where is this water that no one ever, ever, but like, will get thirsty again? Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to this stupid well to draw water every day. He told her, this gets personal, call your husband and come back. And if I did this in a counseling session and knew what Jesus knew, you would never come to me for counseling ever again. If I did this from the stage and you're like, yeah, that's great. I know everything about you. So let me just like, go right to the like, sensitive part of your shame. You would never listen to me again. But Jesus has this way. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus mad at her about that? When you read that? Do you hear him powering up on her? Or is he trying to get to the most sensitive part of her so that they can have a real conversation? Because the way that you view Jesus and God is going to have a massive impact on if you can trust him or if you think he actually will do everything that he promised to do. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. That makes me laugh. She's like, well, apparently somebody has told you my story. I live in a small town in the middle of nowhere in Samaria. Everyone knows about me. I'm at the well at the middle of the day. The whole town talks about me. Everyone knows my past and my story. I live in the biggest small town in the world, kind of like Ventura and Oxnard, right? And everyone knows everything about me. And so I just choose to do this so that I don't have to deal with all the junk that people talk about me. But apparently this outsider already knows about me. I can see that you're a prophet. So she changes the subject. Like when somebody gets personal, you just try to get a political argument or religious argument just so you can extract yourself from the conversation, right? Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you claim, you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. Fast forward to verse 25. The woman is like, she's throwing up all these smoke screens with Jesus like we all do because she wants to get out of the conversation because it got too personal, a little weird, a midday at a well. And so she's like, I know 
at some point that Messiah, the one that everybody talks about is coming called Christ, like whenever he comes, he's going to explain all this. I'm trying to extract myself from you and just move on with my day because I've lived with enough shame in my life. And then Jesus declared, and this is massive, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I know you're like, well, that's a powerful sentence, I guess. No, no, no. This is the first time in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he publicly tells someone that he is the one that God sent to rescue and save. And he won't do it for anybody else for a long time, for a few chapters, for a few months from now. But this woman in Samaria, he had to go tell. And she's like, man, Messiah will all figure it out. The Christ will figure it out. The one that God sends will figure it out. And Jesus is looking at her going like, that's me. I am he. And I'm here for you. It's powerful. Someone across racial lines. Someone despised by everyone that were the godly people. A woman is the first person that Jesus goes public with about who he is and what he's come to do. To say that there's hope for her, even with her past and even with her present. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned. You know, she's like, uh, you know, all this crew comes walking back. We're surprised to find him talking with the woman. That's the most understated verse in all of John right there. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because they've like learned enough with Jesus, like don't mess with him. Like when he's engaged with somebody, it's, it's, he's going to embarrass you. Just let him do his thing. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. The impact, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now believe for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Well, that's how it goes down when you just read it. But I love how the Chosen has shown it. And so I'd love to show this interaction. Check this out. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out too, in the heat, so you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water, if, if you can spare it. 
Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <sighs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sort this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. 
On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> What did? You forgot your um. Fancy, you told me everything I ever did. <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? <laughs> it's so helpful to me to put some creative historical context around the actual interaction where it's not like a piece of paper that we read, but a soul that Jesus is engaging with. So I thought maybe it'd be helpful for us to have just a few observations that I'm learning that I think will be helpful for us. The first one is that life leaves us thirsty. I don't know where you walk in, wouldn't pretend to know your story, or all that you've been through or all that's been done to you or all that you've done. But I do know that when we pursue things that are outside of God's plan for us, we will always end up empty and thirsty. Second observation is that Jesus sets up the meeting right where we are, not where we pretend to be. You is good enough to meet with Jesus. It's terrible English but it's really great theology. Right where you is, is good enough to meet with Jesus, as you are. Third observation. Jesus knows, he knows, and he moves towards us and not away. Jesus knows our deepest pain. He knows our deepest regret our deepest mistakes, our deepest failures. 
And he's not appalled. And he's not throwing his hands up. And he's not surprised. He knows and moves towards us. Jesus will shine a light on our deepest needs. You can throw all the smoke screens you want, but his light will cut right through it to the heart. When Jesus gets personal, we will often try to change the subject with him. I'm a professional at this. When he gets too close, we'll try to maneuver around or deconstruct or have some objections or have a question. But he can get right through it to the heart. Knowing who Jesus is will send us out to tell his story, just like this woman. Once we experience who he is and once we realize what he's done, it sends us out to tell everyone else. And lastly, that observation I have, the power of a changed life can change a community. Like it can change friendships, neighborhoods, families, teams, schools, eternities, legacies, counties, states, countries, worlds. Like that's what we're caught up in. And I love this interaction with the woman at the well because it means there's hope for every single one of us. And then when Jesus shows up, he's looking at you like, I had to be here. You didn't have to be here, but I had to meet with you because I want to let you know who I am and what I can do and what I promise. Why don't you pray with me? God, you're good and you're great and you rescue and save. And I'm so grateful for the interaction in John 4 with the woman at the well that we don't even know her name on this side of eternity. But the impact that she had on our world, on her world, on eternity is massive. Thank you for having to go through Samaria to teach us all a bunch of lessons about who you are and your heart for people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.